Amen. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 1. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 1. As you're making your way over there, this series is called Caution. This is part number 2. Last week we began with part 1. I'll say a word about that in just a moment. But I'm encouraged and humbled that you are here today and that you are a part of today's service. Um, I've been preaching since I was in high school, uh, actually middle school, given opportunities to preach. Uh, I've been serving as a senior pastor since 2011, the beginning of 2011, and then preaching as a pastor of staff somewhere since 2004. And I don't know how many sermons that is. I would imagine that's a lot at this point in my life. I have never gotten more feedback on any sermon I have ever preached than last Sunday. I had the privilege of speaking to several of my brothers in ministry, and they followed up and just said, hey, well, how did the sermon go? And I said, well, I said, it was, I think it was okay. I said, you know what, I've gotten more feedback on that sermon than any other sermon I've ever preached. And uh, immediately, I think every minister that I talked to jumped to the conclusion that it was ugly feedback. And I said, I no, not at all. In fact, all of the feedback was given positively and from a spirit of wanting understanding and love. And let me just tell you, not every pastor is in, Amer in America has the privilege that I have which is being loved by you. And for that, I say thank you. I really sincerely mean that. And I feel your love. And even where you disagree with me, and that is so more than okay, because I am fully aware that I can be wrong. I so appreciate every one of you. Every single piece of feedback this week was given from a place of love and it encouraged my heart this week. So thank you. Thank each of you. I want you to look that way. Everybody look that way. Now kind of get an idea of who's in church. All right. Now let's look that way and get an idea of who's in church. Okay. Everybody look everywhere. If you see someone that is missing or don't see them and they were here last week and they're not here this week. It is now your responsibility to follow up with said person and say, hey, you got to listen online, okay? And if you are here this week and you're like, what is he talking about? You need to go back and listen to last week. Because as I said, in order for me to do justice to this massive subject of Christians and alcohol and what the Bible says, it's going to take three messages. Now, a little bit more instruction. Next week, you're in for a special treat. I'm going to be here, but I'm not going to be the one preaching. We're going to hear from Pastor David Thompson. He is a uh, son of one of our members here, 
our, a few of our members, and it will be a blessing. I'm going to be here, and I want you to be blessed by his preaching. Part three will be the first Sunday in December. So I would invite you, remember, before we just draw conclusions down, please listen to all three messages. Our main statement today is this. If we are not scandalized by what the Word of God calls scandalous, that's bad. Now, I mentioned last week our main statement was is that if we are scandalized by what the Word of God says, that's bad. And last week I presented that I have come kicking and screaming to this issue. Because as you know, as I shared, I am a teetotaler. I don't drink. I don't want to drink. I don't want my family to drink. That's my conviction. And the way I was raised, I literally thought that's what the Bible taught. The way I was raised and the people that I love and respect to this day that taught me that Jesus loves me, much of their teaching was that teetotalism is what the Bible teaches. That the Bible, when it says wine, only concerns grape juice or only concerns water that has been sterilized with alcohol in some small, small amount. That's, that's, that's what I learned, okay? So a part of that heritage of my position today is continuing in that, carrying that tradition, so to speak. And I have been blessed by my abstinence. I had the privilege this week of um, running into a friend of mine, Dr. Landon Dowden. He pastors a church in Georgia now, just outside of Atlanta. We ran into each other at a funeral. And Landon used to pastor here in Tupelo, and it was good to see him. And I said, um, we were talking about what we were preaching about, and I said, well, I'm preaching about Christians and alcohol. And he said, oh, <laughs> well, how did that go? <laughs> and I said, talked to him that it was encouraging feedback and stuff like that. And I said, and Landon shares my conviction, he's a teetotaler too, or at least what he shared with me. And um, I said, Landon, I, I realize that I'm in a minority position in our time, especially with my generation. Um, most of my pastor friends my age, if not maybe all of them, all consume alcohol in some way, shape, or form. I don't know any of them that are alcoholics. I don't know any of them that are um, abusive of alcohol. But when you get into younger generations, and I turn 40 on my next birthday, 40 down, the feelings about teetotalism really begins to fade. And I told Landon, and Landon has been just a champion on his preaching about the gospel of grace and that the doctrine of grace. And I said, Landon, I said, the real reason I'm a teetotaler is that if one day I stand before God and it turns out that the grace was just not really why we're saved at all and grace is not true, I'm going to submit to God my teetotalism and just say, but I didn't drink, please let me in. And he laughed. But of course, of course, um, that's not what the Bible teaches. Grace is true. And also it's true that it's a dangerous line to walk when you're a teetotaler. Here I am pontificating about me being the only one no preachers are teetotalers anymore. 
Oh, and that self-righteousness feels so good. (laughs) That's wrong, too. So, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's the same verse I read last week. Why? Because whatever the Bible says is what we ought to believe. So regardless of what it says and how convenient it is for my convictions, we need to believe what the Bible says. So this week is for the partakers. Last week was for the abstainers. And hopefully you walked away, if you're an abstainer like me, of thinking, you know what, I need to pay attention to what the scripture actually says. But this week is for those who choose to partake. We all know there are three kinds of Baptists. First, there are Baptists who are against drinking and do not drink. Second, there are those Baptists that exercise liberty when it comes to drinking and drink. And then third, and probably one of the larger categories, there are Baptists that are against drinking and still drink. (laughs) We all know that. But we want to have a biblical view on alcohol today. Let's look in the scripture today, Proverbs 20 and verse number 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. This is the word of the Lord. If we are going to have a biblical view on alcohol, words matter. Keep in mind, if you're an abstainer today... This message is not for you. You can listen because we can all be profitable when the word of God is taught and read. But this is for those of you who choose to exercise Christian liberty and drink. If you're going to choose to do that, you need to listen to the word of God. So many of my friends who are partakers for years have used one line of logic. Jesus drank so I can drink. Don't tell me I can't drink because Jesus drank. Listen, I told you last week, I'm in full agreement. The beverages that Jesus consumed had alcoholic content on, in them. But however, the Bible says way more about alcohol than John chapter 2. Every drunk in the world knows Jesus turns water into wine. The Bible says more about alcohol than just Jesus drank. And just because you may disagree with your teetotaler friends or find them self-righteous, pharisaical, narrow-minded, all of which is probably true, and I'm pointing the fingers at me and God help me with my self-righteousness. But if we're going to be biblical, be careful to look at what the Bible actually says. Words matter. So here's something we need to consider. Biblical words have specific meaning, and they don't always translate clearly to modern ears. Biblical words have specific meaning, and they don't always translate clearly to modern ears. It is a reasonable question to ask when the Bible says wine, is it the same 
thing as the wine we have today. If you're going to be responsible and wise and take the Bible seriously, you have to ask those questions. When the Bible says strong drink, does it mean the same thing that we think today when we consider what is alcoholic strong drink? Friends, biblical words have specific meaning and they don't always translate clearly to modern ears. So first, what does wine mean? This is straight from the Bible dictionary. It just means wine that can induce toxication. Now, it is true that there are places in the scripture where wine likely refers to freshly made wine from fresh grapes that does not contain alcohol. Jewish writings tell us that frequently fresh juice that was made from grapes and made from the vine was a drink suitable for children, and that is what it was used for. And sometimes it is true that the word wine in the Bible does refer to a non-alcoholic fruit drink made from grapes. But does it always refer to that? No. It often, if not majority, refers to a drink with some kind of alcohol. The word there is yayan. Now, strong drink. Notice the scripture says wine is a mocker. If wine means grape juice, there's no way the scripture writer would be saying grape juice is a mocker. But strong drink is a brawler. What is strong drink? The Hebrew word is shkar. It is an intoxicant, intensely alcoholic liquor. Now, this is strong concordance, and that parenthetical notation that this is not helpful I put that in there. That's not from Strong's Concordance. The reason I put that in there is because I'm taking issue with Strong's Concordance that using the word liquor there is unhelpful. I think a better understanding would be an intoxicant, something that contains a lot of alcohol. But I would not use the word liquor, and hopefully you're going to see why in a few minutes. Of the 23 times shikar, or strong drink, appears in the Old Testament, it appears in combination with yayan 21 times. So that's why you have wine, strong drink, wine, strong drink, wine, strong drink. And I want to remind you, as we saw last week, this message is not undoing what I said last week. I stand by what the Word of God says we looked at last week. Israel was not prohibited from drinking wine or strong drink except during times of ceremonial consecration for priests and Nazarite vows. This is hard for us to hear. And I think one of the reasons it's hard for us to hear is because when we hear strong drink, we think something very specific. As a reminder, Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 26, I looked at it last week. It was the reminder that during the Feast of the Tithe, if you were not able to make it to the holy place, the tabernacle, or you were not able to make it to the temple, that you were to sell what you had and celebrate the feast where you 
were, and notice what the feast celebrate includes. And spend money for whatever you desire, auction or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you should eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. What does that mean? There are occasions where Israel clearly and here was instructed to use these things for a God-honoring celebration. Judges 13 verse 7 concerns a Nazarite vow. These are the instructions that were given to Samson's mother. Samson was told, his parents was told, were told he would be a Nazarite from birth, meaning he could touch neither wine nor strong drink. And while she was carrying the baby, because he was dedicated from the womb to be a Nazarite, notice the instructions she is given from the angel. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink. You see, they appear in tandem. And eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Let's leave this on the screen for just a second. This is actually a helpful passage to help us understand how ancient Israelites understood the use of wine and strong drink. So... Then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. What is that referring to? Nothing unclean makes you unfit for sacred use. This is why the priests were not allowed to touch dead things. This is why the priests were not allowed to consume alcohol when they would go into either wine or strong drink into the temple, into the tabernacle, because these things made you ceremonially unclean. This is very important. These are not moral commands. These are ceremonial commands. And it's only immoral if you blatantly disrespect God's ceremonial laws. So hopefully that's helping you see a little closer. So what is strong drink well likely strong drink shikar is beer likely strong drink shikar is beer this is why several translations use beer instead of strong drink look at proverbs 20 verse 1 from the new international version and compare it to what's we've already said wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Notice it doesn't say strong drink. It translates it as beer, a brawler. And whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Proverbs 20, verse 1, from the Christian Standard Bible. By the way, this is the approved and funded Southern Baptist translation of the Bible. The Christian Standard, it used to be the Holman Christian Standard. So this is Southern Baptist translation. Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler, whoever goes astray because of them is not wise. One of the reasons shikar is translated as beer is some historians believe ancient Israelites made beer out of barley. Now, I want you to know, I know nothing about alcohol. I've had to read this stuff because I don't know what beer's made out of. I don't know what wine is made. I just assume it was grapes. But 
There are many different sources for alcohol. And historians believe, many of them, that Israelites would have made their strong drink or their beer out of barley, one of the seven fruits of the promised land in Deuteronomy 8.8. If you want to write that down, you can read it on your own, Tron. But then I want to talk about another word. If we're going to understand what the scripture is saying, again, this is word for partakers. The Bible says wine is a mocker and strong drink, and I'm going to argue that strong drink is beer, not liquor. Strong drink is a brawler, and whosoever is led astray by them is not wise. I want you to understand there is another word. We have it translated as two, which is led astray, and you would say it in Hebrew, shoga, which Look at the definition for being led astray. To stray, to mistake, to transgress, to reel, or to be enraptured. It also means to stagger. There's another place within Proverbs where these words are used. Proverbs 5, 18 through 23 contains the most usage of this one word, what it means to be led astray in these five verses. Notice it says, this is a word not talking about alcohol. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice, by the way, this is a word from a father to his son, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always by her love. That word there is shoga, the same word of being led astray. I was talking, this is one of my family members in, in the context of this, and I said shoga, and they thought I said shoga. And I said, no, no, no. That's, even though it kind of sounds like that in the Proverbs, but it's shoga. All right. Why would you be intoxicated? Same word, shoga. Let astray, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So here's what we see. We see that there is a range of meaning on this word shoga, which means to be led astray. The range of meaning is this, to be under the influence and carried away both apply here in 20 verse 1. This is why some translations translate led astray differently. Notice what it is talking about, Proverbs 20 verse 1. What it says is that wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. And here's what it's saying. Whosoever is led away by being under influence is unwise. This is the idea that is captured here. This is not consumption. This idea is being under influence of wine and strong drink. 
The scripture here is saying, if you do this, it's like being caught up. My children were watching Bambi a few weeks ago and the animals in the forest during mating season. Of course, Bambi doesn't call it that. But during mating season, they're finding little boy rabbits and girl rabbits are finding each other in order to make a family, right? And one of the characters in Bambi says, during this time, they are Twitterpated. They're under the influence of a force of nature. This is why deer hunters, later this year, you can find a buck during the rut more than any other time you go hunting. Why? Because they are under the influence of a force of nature. This God-given force of reproduction, making a family, all of these things. And what's interesting is Proverbs says it's a good thing to be enraptured. To be under the influence of your wife. But it's a foolish thing to be under the influence of another woman. Because you will be led astray by being enraptured by this thing. And this is what the scripture is saying. Wine is a mocker. Beer is a brawler. Strong drink is a brawler. And if you are under its influence, you're led astray. You are unwise, is what it says. Now I want to say a couple other things. The only alcoholic drinks mentioned in the Bible are naturally fermented products. The only alcoholic drinks mentioned in the Bible are naturally fermented products. Both wine and strong drink or beer, however you want to look at it, in the Bible are naturally fermented products. Heavily fermented products peak at 20% ABV, which is alcohol by volume, before turning to vinegar. Ancient writings suggest Jews used a two to one or three to one water to wine ratio. Therefore, it is reasonable to conclude the wine and the strong drinks in the Bible were somewhere in the five to 8% ABV category. Now you say, Matt, can you prove that 100%? No, I can't. I will say this. I have been astounded by so much information that's out there. I have found even in study Bibles that I have, commentaries I have, that said no, Jews used a ratio of 20 to 1. 20 parts water to one part wine. But the problem is, is that when you look at the historical primary sources, there are no Jewish sources which say 20 to 1 or 8 to 1 or 10 to 1. All of those are Roman sources. In fact, interestingly enough, the 20 to 1 comes from Homer's Odyssey. And it's fascinating to me that my group, the teetotalers, use Homer to establish their position. Now, they don't know it's Homer that said it, but here's another thing that needs to be said. Here's another problem for me as a teetotaler. For 1,800 years of church history, Christians consumed drinks with alcohol, and then something changed just prior to the year 1800. What happened? Well, it's an important thing that we need to talk about, and if you're a partaker, you have to acknowledge this. 
There were no hard liquors in Bible times. Zero. Zero. This is why I said I took issue with the definition of strong drink from Strong's Concordance. Because when it says liquor, liquor did not exist in the Bible. It did not. You say, Brother Matt, how do you know that? Friends, anyone saying the Bible says it's acceptable to drink liquor is categorically incorrect. There are no biblical words for modern liquor or distilled liquor because distillation was invented hundreds of years after the biblical canon was closed. Arab alchemists from the Middle Ages are the fathers of distilled alcohol. Now, like me, even though I'm from East Tennessee and I have grandfathers on both sides who either made it or ran the truck, um, you would think I would know this. What is distillation? Well, distillation is this. Distillation takes a naturally fermented product, which Guinness Book of World Records would be 20% plus alcohol for a naturally fermented product. Most naturally fermented products are going to peak around 15%. And what you do with distillation is you take the naturally fermented product and then you heat it just to under a boil because alcohol boils at a lower temperature than water. And what happens is the alcohol turns to vapor and it goes up into the still and then it, through condensation, reforms and then slowly drips into an intensely alcoholic product that has now had the majority of the water stripped out of it. This is why distillation is different than fermentation. It is taking natural, naturally created alcohol and it is uh, doing a process to intensify it, to remove everything else to make liquor and whiskey. Now, if you're interested, uh, it is credited, even though it's probably a little bit of a legend, but it is true that this man, a man by the name of Elijah Craig, is credited for creating bourbon. And by the way, he was a Kentucky Baptist preacher. But I'm telling you, there were no hard liquors in the Bible. It is an undisputed fact. Jesus did not drink liquor. And I want you to pair this. I'm imploring you as your friend, not as a judgmental teetotaler. Be honest with yourself about the Scripture. I'm telling you, I agree. The Bible does say Jesus consumed drinks with alcohol. It does say that. But you are being completely dishonest with yourself or you're not being honest enough to look at what it actually says because you have other reasons, whatever they may be, to ignore what the Bible says. And to say that the Bible 
says that Jesus drank liquor or that it's okay to drink liquor or that the strong drink of the Bible is liquor and oh, by the way, Israelites drank strong drink so Israelites drank liquor is categorically false. It is not possible. And plain reading and just a little bit of history shows you that if you are consuming liquor, then you are doing something that is foreign to the Bible. Now we'll talk in a minute about, is that wrong? But don't for a minute say, because the Bible says it's okay to drink alcohol, that it's okay to drink distilled liquor. It doesn't say that. Don't be fooled. And if you want to know why the church for 1,800 years drank alcohol and something dramatically changed in the year 1800 was because of the massive ease to create distilled liquor. Now, all of a sudden, people who would go to the tavern and consume a, a, a fermented product of 5 or 8% or maybe at most, if it wasn't mixed down, 15%, all of a sudden are drinking 40, 50, 60% alcohol. And now all of a sudden you have wives all over the country saying, this fire water is destroying my family. What happened? Why did all of a sudden after 1800 years, the church change its position in America and say, listen, get away from it. And the answer is, the alcohol changed. It changed. It became more intense. It became more dangerous. It is an undisputed fact that Jesus did not drink liquor. I had several people say this week, they said, Brother Matt, last week, when you put on the screen that Jesus drank alcohol, I struggled. I struggled. I saw that. And Matt... My daddy was an alcoholic. My son's an alcoholic. My daughter's an alcoholic. My mama's an alcoholic. And you just put that up there. And I, I don't like that. Because Jesus did not drink alcohol. He drank wine. Well, my point last week, he did drink alcohol because alcohol is in the wine. But Jesus did not turn the water at the wedding into Jack Daniels. <laughs> he did not do that. We're talking about two completely different things. So friends, if we're going to have a biblical view on alcohol, words matter. Next, if we're going to have a biblical view on alcohol, warnings matter. I want you to, I want you to hear me. Because some of you are in college, and you're visiting mom and dad right now. And by the way, I know it's an accepted, and it is unfortunately the kosher thing to do when you're in college, to drink up. And I want you to listen to your pastor that loves you. I love you, and I am not going to judge you if you consume. Because that would be sin for me to do that. But I want you to listen to the words long written down. Being drunk and partying are serious sins. Serious sins. 
If you think the Old Testament warnings are serious about alcohol, read the New Testament. Ephesians 5.18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Oh, come on! Let's just have a, let's just have a bunch of beer here, and let's, let's just get wasted, let's get drunk. We're only young once. Don't you know what you're doing? I want you to listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, and you are sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Romans 13, 13 through 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. For the time is past. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensual passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. I want you to listen to me, and I love you. I love you. Living and loving a life of partying and or unrestricted drinking means one thing. You don't know God and will not enter his kingdom. That's what those verses mean. I'm not saying that people who drink and get drunk can't go to heaven. You know I believe in a gospel of grace. Jesus saves us all, and we all have struggles. But unrestrained drinking and partying are a serious sin. And if you say it's nothing, and it's just this, this ridiculous, simplified wisdom from your teetotaler parents, and you're just going to drink up and live it up and do what you want to, you are not playing with fire water. You are playing with hell fire. And I love you. And I mean it. Also, the most dangerous aspect of alcohol is not liking it, but loving it. Proverbs 21, verse 17 says this. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Here's the danger. What if you drink it and you love it? And then you can't stop. And I want you to remember this. Remember all the warnings are concerning 5 to 8% at most, 15 to 20% if it wasn't watered down. And according to Jewish writings, they always watered it down. How much stronger would the warnings be against liquor if the Bible was written today? If these warnings exist for a 5% product, how much more would the warnings exist for something hard? Friends, the next thing 
If we're going to have a biblical view on alcohol, wisdom matters. I want you to hear me today. Wisdom begins when we stop lying to ourselves and out of reverence submit our hearts to the word of God. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. You say, Brother Matt, Proverbs 20 verse 1, that's just a proverb, that's not a command. A flippant attitude about the word of God, even the Proverbs, will hurt you. It is written for our instruction. And here's what I want you to hear me say. I told you last week, I know it's not a sin to consume. I know that. And I don't judge any of you that do. But drunkenness, according to the Bible, begins long before blacking out. There is a problem when it comes to considering what is drunkenness. Because we all can think about somebody who gets more drunk than we do. The book of Proverbs and the Bible's book of wisdom lays out what it means to have gone too far with alcohol. And I don't have time to tell you about it today. So I'm going to push it into part three. We're going to revisit Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 through 35. But I'm going to tell you, and you can look at it in your own time between now and then. The Bible lays out what it means to be drunk in the Proverbs. So here's number four. Here's what I want you to hear. If you ignore what the Bible says about alcohol and press forward, you're doing a couple things. You might be in danger of missing heaven. Do not misunderstand what I just said. Jesus drank it. It can't be a sin. The church drank it for 1,800 years. It can't be a sin. But partying hard and drunkenness are serious sins. And if that's your life, you need to be honest with yourself. Also, you will injure yourself and your reputation. What does that mean? DUI, unemployment, or unemployable, broken marriages, revoked rights to see your own children, broken families. And some of you have endured those things. And my heart goes out to you. I don't wish that on anybody. I'm not shaming you. But it's real. We have to read the warnings. You will injure yourself and your reputation. You will sin against your family and wound them deeply. And then also, if you don't take seriously what the Bible says about alcohol, you might lose everything you hold dear and be left alone. It's not a sin to partake, but those who partake must do so from a place of humility because alcohol and its abuse has taken down great men and great women. I want to end with this statement. It takes humility to admit you have a problem. There are some of you right now have a problem with drinking. You know it. Your spouse knows it. And you might even be thinking right now that I'm judging you and saying you can't go to heaven. Nope, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying I love you. And I'm saying these are the warnings of what the Bible says. And if you have a problem today, the first step towards sobriety 
is admitting you have a problem. And I want to give you the best news known to mankind if you have a problem with alcoholic abuse. It's the scripture from last week. Look on the screen. For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you have a problem today? Jesus loves you and wants to be your friend. In fact, he's sitting at the table with you and wants you to come home. Jesus loves you. And may First Baptist Church always be a church that loves sinners. Beginning with this sinner right here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, will you speak to our hearts as we continue to contemplate your scripture on these matters? Lord, I pray for those that this message stings so bad because it brings up shame and pain and hurt and embarrassment and fear. And Lord, remind them you are a friend to sinners, to all of us. And we don't have to be afraid to come home because you're already sitting with us right there at the table and saying, it's okay, you can come home. Lord, I pray you would bless First Baptist Church. Thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.